You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. Just kind of open, uh, when we started that last song, that was my intro, but uh, your applause is fine. <clears throat> I have known Adam. Um, we met my last semester at Williams, and, uh, and then the Lord took him away from me, and now we're back, and I'm going to make sure Adam actually cuts wood instead of just dressing the part. And so uh, that's what I'm here for. So uh, love you guys. Our time here the last three or four weeks has been great. I'm going to talk about the battle uh, between God and Satan, uh, but more specifically between us and what Satan attempts to do in our life. Uh, you've heard it said, in fact, Jared posted this on Facebook not too long ago, uh, that the church is more of a battleship instead of a cruise ship. And uh, if you really took time to press out that imagery, uh, you would you would be able to find out a lot of what that means just by that one sentence. If you think about a cruise ship, a uh, cruise ship is meant to indulge our pleasures. And so every bit of activity on that cruise ship is directed towards us uh, to make us feel good, to make us uh, be relaxed, to make us enjoy ourselves. For many people, it could be to make us forget about the problems back home. If you think about a battleship, every amount of activity on the battleship is going towards the mission are towards the enemy. Uh, there's a battle, not always raging, but there's always the, the, a battle that we're anticipating. And so we sit on the ship, we prepare, we train, we plan, and then when uh, the alarm goes off, we get up, we take up our armor, and we go. So what about this battle? What about this spiritual battle that we're in? Uh, you can read that as, this is my battle against sin in my life. Uh, this is my battle against the world. Uh, for some of us at times in our life, it's our battle, um, not necessarily on this battleship, but our battle uh, against the sovereignty of God and what he allows in our life and uh, the things that press into us that we, we step back and look at and think, uh, God, I just wouldn't do it that way. Uh, but for all of us, one thing that we may fail to realize very often is this is also a battle against the dark forces of the world. Uh, and so I'm going to set one thing straight and then unpack it uh, for just a little bit before we actually talk about Satan. Uh, when we talk about our battle against the darkness, if you're a believer in here, uh, your favorite verse when it comes to spiritual darkness should be uh, Colossians 1.13. It talks about the Father and what He's done in Christ. And it says that He transferred us from the domain of darkness and He put us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. That's, that's good news. And so we have a we have an enemy that rules the darkness. We have an enemy whose domain uh, we were once in as sinners. If you're here this morning seeking Christ, this is your domain, brother. This is where you are at. And so the emptiness and the hopeless and the failed attempts at feeling good about life or yourself is is all there because of this domain of darkness you're in. Uh, but in Christ, what God does is He just simply plucks us up out of that and He puts us in the kingdom of freedom, freedom from sin, from death from hell and freedom from the devil. So what about this battle with Satan? Uh, if you will, turn your Bibles to Ephesians 6 if you have them on your phones. It'll also be on your screen. <clears throat> and I am going to scratch the surface this morning. And I mean, uh, I, th I think there's some guys are going to talk about this a little more tomorrow. Uh, I'm available um, after this if you want to chat or if you want to grab lunch uh, this week or coffee. Because uh, I'm going to scratch the surface this morning and uh, and hopefully uh, make us a little more aware of this battle. Ephesians 6, 
verses 10 through 12 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his mind. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, this is your word. And, um, and God, we know that uh, your word is true, it's right, it's pure, it's everlasting. Uh, we know that in the hearts of people, that it can lead to uh, reviving and awakening, awakening our souls. Uh, we know that it can bring joy to our hearts. We know that it can bring also in our lives steadfastness and perseverance in the race. And so, Spirit, in these moments, in this time together, I pray that you would accomplish those things in our hearts. Uh, that you would expose our hearts for what they are without you. Uh, that you would expose some of the dark places in our lives if we're following Jesus, but have yet to surrender all of our hearts to him. And Father, through your word and through the power of your spirit, you would transform us, make us whole. Uh, and God, um, with the topic of this morning, would you send us out of here uh, to do business with the devil and not be scared, uh, but to advance on enemy territory as we go throughout Paragold, other communities around here, as we spread the gospel of peace uh, to all those around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This battle. Let me, t- let me read what... Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones says about these verses. He says, There's nothing that is more urgently important for all who claim the name of Christian than to grasp and to understand the teaching of this particular section of Scripture. Here and here alone we are told that, despite all that is against us, whether in realms above or in the world in which we live with all its strains and stresses, as Christian people we can be enabled to triumph, to rejoice in the midst of it all, and to know that victory is assured. This victory that we have in Christ. I grew up singing that song. I grew up, uh, my grandma was charismatic, and so I grew up with her really getting into that song, Victory in Jesus. And uh, we sing it, we know it, but what about this victory? Let's settle this uh, right here at the get go, okay? This transference from do- the domain of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved Son. Uh, what about this victory that we have in Christ? Because we, we hear that all the time. We talk about Satan. One of the first things we often say is, well, he's a defeated foe. And we just kind of leave him then and don't really uh, acknowledge what he actually does in our life. And that calls us not to truly rest and plug into the victory that we have in Christ. Well, consider this. This victory was predicted all the way back in Genesis 3 in your Old Testament. When our first parents fail... Uh, and they and they lied and they went away from God's purposes and God's laws in their life. Uh, God came and he pronounced a curse on the man, the woman and the serpent, the serpent being Satan. And to the, to the serpent, he said that the woman's seed, you will crush or you will bite his heel and he will crush your head. And so there with just our first parents, Satan knew that he was going to be defeated through the woman's seed. All through the Old Testament, when you read that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, when you read that uh, all glory belongs to God, all through the Psalms, when you hear phrases like that, that's God repeating to the enemy, you're a defeated foe. Your time is coming. And so the enemy tried and tried all through the Old Testament history to crush out this seed of the woman until he was born of a virgin. 
The, the incarnation is when this victory or this conquest begun. And when Jesus came to this world, you can remember uh, Herod, the King Herod, he tried to eliminate this seed by killing all of the boys two years and younger in the land. This was Satan's attempt. Remember, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. This is Satan's attempt to crush out this seed that's going to eventually crush his head. If you remember in Matthew 12, uh, there's a time when Jesus, after he was baptized, he went into the wilderness and uh, Satan came and tempted him uh, three times. Yet another attempt to crush out this seed so that what is eventually going to happen, the crushing of Satan's head, doesn't happen. Well, I'm sure most of you remember the story of Judas uh, in the in the life of the disciples and his life with Jesus. When Jesus looked at him in the last hours and said, Go do what Satan's put in your heart to do. At the very last hour, Satan attempted to crush the seed. Well, we all know it doesn't end there. At the crucifixion, Satan was dealt the decisive blow. On the cross, Satan was fully and finally defeated. At the cross, we are told a few things, and there's some scripture that will be on the screen. Uh, first, Hebrews two fourteen and 15 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That's Jesus. That through death, listen friend, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Friend, if you are in bondage to the fear of death this morning... The only solution is to come to Jesus because he's defeated that fear. He's made death not a sting, but a glorious victory. The next verse, Colossians 2, says, And you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Now we get that pretty good. And, and our song service and everything leads us to that. That Christ has canceled that record of debt. But listen to what else was accomplished on the cross. This he set aside nailing it to the cross. He disarmed also the rulers and authorities. And put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Now, we just read in Ephesians 6, right, that our battle's not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers and the powers and authorities in the heavenly places. And what Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 shouldn't concern us because we can flip right back to Colossians 2 or right forward to Colossians 2.15 and see that he has disarmed them. So he acknowledges this enemy, but then he tells us also that he's disarmed. And we'll deal with that tension in just a little bit. But listen to what John Stott says about the cross. What looks like the defeat of goodness by evil is also and more certainly the defeat of evil by goodness. Overcome there, Jesus being overcome there, he himself was overcoming. Crushed by the ruthless power of Rome, he was himself crushing the serpent's head. The full and decisive blow against Satan and all of his dark forces happened when Jesus Christ died on the cross. Because he died for our sin, the one thing Satan has over us. And he frees us from that, all those who are in him. Well, this victory was then endorsed three days later when Jesus came out of the grave, proving that death couldn't keep him. So he defeated even the power of death over all those who would follow him. The resurrection endorsed this victory. This victory then, friend, is extended through this present church age. This is you and I. So we are living in this victory. 
We're not living to accomplish victory over Satan. We're not living to try to hide from him. We're living within the victory that Christ has already won from, for us. We are, we are walking out and walking from, out from victory instead of towards victory. We don't have to defeat Satan. Jesus Christ defeated Satan. We just need to rest in him and let him do the battle, though we have responsibility. Every true conversion in this present church age, every true conversion when someone comes to Christ involves a power encounter in which the devil is obligated to relax his hold on somebody. Listen to this. When the Spirit of God began to speak to your heart, when the Spirit of God began to stir within you your need for a Savior, when the Spirit of God began to convict your heart about emptiness and sin and, and looking at your life and saying, this suffering isn't right or this, this just doesn't seem right, this is empty, all, this thing, all these things that I run after are not helping me. When the Spirit of God began to awaken your heart to that and teach you about Christ, this is what He did. Matthew 12 tells us like this, what Jesus did is He went into the strong man's house and He bound him. So that you could be released from his bondage. Jesus went into the house of the strong man Satan. As the stronger man Jesus tied him up and said all the captives can be released now. Everyone in the bondage of sin who looked to Jesus are released from his power. So when you're sitting with someone at a coffee table and they come to Christ. What's happened in the spiritual realm is Satan is being vanquished again. Satan is being let go again where Jesus says I'm stronger than you. And he pushes him out. Praise God. I could never do that. I can't do that in your hearts right now, but the Spirit of God can, friend. He can release you this morning from whatever bondage that you're bringing in, whatever stronghold is in your life, you can be released from. Well, the best news is that this victory then will be consummated, this conquest consummated when Christ returns. Uh, When He returns, most of you know this, if you've been around church for very long, that When Jesus comes, he's going to take us with him and he's going to throw Satan and all his army into the lake of fire where no more he can bother the kingdom of God. But what we have to ask ourselves is, then why is there tension? Then then why would Paul here say that our battle is not against flesh and blood, therefore there is a battle, but it's against these powers and these authorities in the heavenly places. But then he would tell us over here, Though they've been disarmed, then how do, how do you and I deal with this tension in our life? Uh, well, I want to just rest and say, Jesus has won the victory. I can go on. If that's, the, if that's where I'm at, if I say, Jesus has won the victory, the devil's a defeated foe, I'm just going to go on and live my life. You're probably so entrenched in the snare of the devil that you don't even know it. If you're not actively doing battle against the temptation and the accusation that he brings into your life and all of the ways in which he comes to try to trip you up and hinder your worship of God. If you're not aware of that and just saying, well, he's a defeated foe, he can't touch me. Friend, would you please listen in the next few moments? Would you leave here free from even that? The devil's attempt to hinder your worship and to tear you down. Listen, listen to two other verses that acknowledge this tension. In uh, 1 John 5.18, John says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Okay, so there's where we want to rest, right there in Christ. The evil one can't touch us. The fear of death is gone. The power of sin is gone. The power of hell is gone. But then Peter, in 1 Peter 5.8 
says this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So, we, so in one sense, we have a Jesus who's protecting us and says the evil one can't touch us. And then in another sense, we have Peter saying, you better be sober-minded, though, because he is looking for someone to devour. Well, how do we handle that? Well, what, what is Satan's state? What is he doing now, then, if he's been defeated but yet he's seeking someone to devour. Well, there, here's a couple ways that I, I tend to picture him, okay? Um, if you've ever killed something, um, whether it be a rodent or if you're a hunter or whatever, you kill them. I have some, sometimes the hardest time, the, the couple times this has happened, explaining to my son, there, th- this possum is actually dead. I know it's flopping around. Well, I wasn't hunting the possum. It was hunting my chickens and I killed it, okay? So... I, how to explain to him, it's, it's, I'd, son, I know it's, it's going crazy. It's flopping around. You see its teeth. You're scared to death. I promise you it's dead, though. You just have to let it do its thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, then there's times where I think, well, maybe Satan is a chained dog. Uh, I always think of the sand lot. The boys watched this yesterday, actually. But this chain, vicious chain dog. So, so he's, he's there. He's everywhere I am. And if I get, if I start to inch towards him, he's going to come out and kind of growl. As I get closer, he's going to get more vicious. As, as I get really close, he's going to start barking and jumping at that chain. And I'm the idiot if I get close enough that he can touch me. Sometimes that's how I think of Satan. I, I'm the stupid one, right? He's chained up. He's vicious. I don't, you know, some of you, if you were this way, you may taunt him and, and then he breaks the chain. The dog does. But for Satan, I'm the stupid one if I go into his territory, right? So I sometimes think of Satan that way. He's bound. I believe he's bound and, and that's what I think of. Well, then there's times I think, well, you know, Jesus has crushed his head. He's taken away everything that Satan wants. So he's just a three-year-old throwing a temper tantrum. He's just not getting what he wants. And we get to experience the effects of that, okay? Kind of like the older brother or something. But here's the deal. I still fail almost daily in withstanding the attacks of the devil. I can, I can think of times that multiple times I fall into temptation. And, and here's, here's my personal struggle. I can think of times of letting the lies of Satan be so implanted in my head that I believe them. The lies about myself, the lies about others, the lies about God. Be so implanted into my head that they could actually drive me crazy. So I I can't think of him this way. Because then I'm saying, a three-year-old throwing a temper tantrum has defeated me. A dog on a leash has defeated me. And a dead animal has defeated me. He's got to be more powerful than that, friend. He's got to be defeated, but he's got to be more powerful than that. So what are some of his goals then? I still fail, but I still want to think about Satan as a defeated foe. Well, before we move into who Satan is in this battle, uh, let's address something that uh, C.S. Lewis calls superstition or substition. For us, we'll say over-exaggeration and under-exaggeration, okay? Uh, So we have this tendency to over-exaggerate Satan in the darkness, these are, these are what probably many of you would say are the weirdos, okay? Uh, they're like all into it, superstitious. And, and, when we, and when we overemphasize this, when we overemphasize this, this aspect of Satan being everywhere, that's going to lead to a defeated life. 
Because we're going to say this, and please, if you say this, don't ever say it again. The devil made me do it. I know this church well enough that you all know your flesh is actually the root of your sin, okay? So the devil doesn't make you do anything. Think of it this way. The devil hangs the carrot. That's it. He dangles the carrot, okay? Um, But we have this over-exaggeration, this superstitious mindset, uh, and, and, and we're kind of... uh, we're kind of immune from that. So if, for instance, if this chandelier fell, uh, we would find the guy who did all the construction in here. Uh, if we were down in South America or over in Africa and a chandelier fell, every, almost every single person in the room is going to say, there's a demon up there. And, and there's this middle realm, the heavenly places, the realm we can't see. There, someone calls that to happen. So, so you see, we're kind of immune to that superstitious, but we're not immune to substition, to under-exaggerating the devil. Most of us probably walk out of this door and live our lives like the devil doesn't even exist. And that's right where he wants you. All of our schools up through uh, this uh, last century have, have been led to, uh, or in modernization, have, have just denied the existence of Satan because they deny the existence of the supernatural. And so we walk around with an enemy that is completely underground, and he loves that. So, friend, a word of warning. If you leave this place and you say, you know what, I, I, I need to know more about this. So you go to Ephesians and read the rest of chapter 6 about the armor of God, and, and you get pretty serious. Guess what you're doing? In your life, you're exposing the enemy. Now, the last time I checked, if you, if you take a rock and there's a snake under it, he's not going to just tuck himself away and leave. He's probably going to come out and attack. So pray Jesus on, brother, because when you get into this, there's a chance that the devil's going to do all he can to just push you away and make you quit and make you quit exposing him, okay? So Satan, now that we're all scared. (laughs) See why I started with victory, right? I knew at any moment I could just quit, and we've already heard the good news. Hey, this war is real. Paul, Paul wouldn't write, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might, and then tell us to put on the whole armor of God. He's telling us this battle is fierce, uh, it's spiritual because it's in the heavenly places, and it's necessary. And so we have to leave out of here with that in our mind. This is a fierce battle, it's a spiritual battle, and it's a necessary battle. Uh, in Ezekiel 28, you'll find uh, a good text to see uh, who Satan is. Uh, and Ezekiel 28, the first half, is about the king of Tyre. But in the last half, it, it goes into a little bit more depth. That, that As we read it, we think this can't be the king of Tyre. This guy was in the garden in the very beginning. So this most definitely is the serpent. Ezekiel 28, 14 says this about Satan. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. Hey, when Satan was created, he was created to stand right next to God and guard his glory. And so as Satan looked all around the heavenly places, he saw everything that was under his feet. But the one thing he saw that was greater than him was God himself. And he hated that. Isaiah tells us that he hated the Almighty. Satan wanted the glory that was given to God. He wanted to be God and he wanted to rule. And so he became the father of lies he became the great deceiver. He became, became the great tempter. Think about this. The serpent back in Genesis 3 was known for his craftiness. He was known for his deceit. He was known for his anti-God attitude. 
Uh, he led humanity to sin. Uh, other places in the New Testament, he was presented to us as a deceiver, as an instigator of evil. One who seeks worship as God and one who seeks to get others to renounce God, if you consider Job. He appears as an angel of God and as the father of lies and violence. Ezekiel 28 goes on to tell us that it's, his sin was violence. He was violent. So I want you to consider your foe briefly. We have the devil masquerading around as an angel of light, but also the father of lies and violence. Left our own strength, friend. There's no way we could handle him. There's no way we could pick him out. So God tells us to stand in his strength. What's his goal? What, what, what is Satan's goal? Well, you know, a long time ago, everybody thought, well, it's kind of a king of the hill battle. I'm going to sit up on a hill and Satan's got a stick and he's trying to knock me off. Because most people believe that they uh, could not be eternally secure in Christ. So they thought they had to be a really good person in order to remain secure. I believe that uh, those who are in Christ will persevere until the end because God keeps them in his power. Uh, but, but in those days, uh, this idea of losing what Christ had purchased for you uh, ran pretty wild. And so people thought Satan was just trying to knock them off of their heel and make them lose their salvation. Uh, well, when you get into the time of the Puritans, we, we left that. Uh, but we still had this mindset that this was me and Satan. This is just between us. And now, praise God, I, I, from even my, just my own journey, I'm getting into Satan has way more to do than just mess with me. He's got a bigger plan. He's going to mess with the church, this local body, the church universal, because of his goals. Listen to his goals. Satan tries to destroy us people because we bear God's image. We don't bear his image, and he wants us to bear his image. Hence Genesis chapter 3. So Satan tries everything to destroy us. For those apart from Christ, they're in the domain of darkness. He's got them where he wants them. For those who are in Christ, while we are free from sin, while we're headed to eternity in the presence of God, he still attempts to destroy us because we are bearing God's image, even you might say to the fullest, as a son and as a daughter. He also tries to overthrow the kingdom of God. He wants to overthrow the kingdom of God. He wants to retain control of what he still possesses, that domain of darkness. He does that. He's the ruler of the world. So he does that through uh, the schemes of the world, through, uh, uh, through places like that, through governments and things like that. And then he also tries to regain his lost territory. That's you and I, if you're a believer. Well, he accomplishes these goals uh, through strategies and then through devices. And you might hear schemes or wiles. Uh, to accomplish these goals. What's his strategy then? Is he's got these goals to destroy, to overthrow, to retain and regain. Uh, what's his strategy? How does he do that? Well, he entices us to sin. Friend, if you're in Christ and he can entice you to sin, he's won. He's grieved the Spirit of God in your life, uh, and you are now in his snare, Paul calls it in, in the book of Timothy. He entices us to sin. He wants to hinder our spiritual disciplines. He wants to hinder us in our walk with God. Listen to this quote. If millions of Christians can be tempted to neglect the church, the scriptures, prayer, and other dynamics of spiritual life, they can be kept at a minimal level of strength, which will offer, listen, little threat to the kingdom of evil. Do you want to be a threat to the kingdom of evil? Uh, would, would, you, would you step it back and look at your life and think, I'm so completely sold out in following Jesus as my only hope. Uh, that I am a threat 
to the kingdom of evil? Uh, I know what my answer would be, and uh, thank God for Jesus. His, another strategy is to misrepresent God and truth, deception and false doctrine. Thank God for churches who have elders who watch out for the doctrine of the church because Satan is doing all he can to get into the minds of the church and spread false doctrine about God, false thinking about God and themselves. And he opposes our sanctification. Jesus died to make us more like himself, and Satan doesn't want that. So he opposes that, and he, he does business with us to keep us from being holy and blameless in Christ. And he does all these things through schemes and devices and wiles. If you like to read, there's a Puritan book by Thomas Brooks. It's called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. The table of contents alone is worth, and you can get a free PDF of it, is worth reading it. And it goes through all the devices of Satan and then all the remedies that Christ has given to us. But listen, Satan's major work is temptation and accusation, I believe. Satan gets us by tempting us and by accusing us. And I think I can help you think through that uh, a little bit. So when Satan comes to tempt you, what he's going to do is he's going to make you feel really good about yourself. Uh, he's going he's to kind of elevate your pride. This is through temptation passing before you. And this is through uh, this strange, I, I can't answer this yet, but through thoughts in our minds and uh, through uh, lies that we believe. And, um, and he begins to tempt us to make us think that we're better than we actually are. And think really highly of ourselves. Hey guys, you know what I'm talking about. I deserve this. I've been doing good for this long. I deserve this. How many people do you know that have, have said that and then phew, off the deep end? We, we live our Christian life even in, in all of our good works. And we think, I just deserve a day off. And friends, Satan is waiting for someone to devour and so he tempts us by making us feel really good about ourselves, by having a lot of pride in ourselves. Look, I'm not like these people. Look at how good I am. Man, he is, he is after you in that. But listen, listen, he's a jerk. Because when he says, you deserve this, and then you partake, he then becomes an accuser, right? I can't believe you just did that. Your family is going to hate you. There's no way God loves you. There's no way that you're a child of God. Look at what you just did. He becomes your accuser. Now, traditionally, what we would do in these moments is say, oh, just, just quote scripture, okay? Just quote scripture back to him and he'll flee. Well, I believe that. This is what you need to do. You say, you know what, devil? You're right. There's no way God should love me. You're right, devil. There, there's nothing in me that deserves God's love. But you're wrong, devil. Because God has still, while I was helpless, put forward his son, to be my atoning sacrifice. Put forward Jesus to take the penalty for my sin and count me worthy to be his son or daughter. So the devil may be accusing you this morning. You may be here thinking, I don't even know why I'm here. God is not listening to me. Hey, you may even be trying to conjure up something in your hearts by being here. Because the devil has gotten you so far down in accusations. Would you just hear, especially in a moment as we take communion, that Jesus... He, he's freed you and he's made, yes, the devil's accusation is true, but he has made a way to redeem you from that. 
That there is no accusation. Romans 8.1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Christian friend, when the devil comes to accuse you and say, there's no way God loves you and there's no way you're a Christian, you just say, you know, you're right, but praise God that he still put forth his son to make me whole and to make me worthy. Praise God. So temptation and, and accusation are some of his greatest works. He's good at tempting us because... Uh, well, he's a spiritual being. He's been around a lot longer than we have. So in these next few, in this next few uh, uh, points that are going to be really quick, but I'm going to just tell you what I'm attempting to do. I want to get you to a place of desperation. Because when Paul says, be strong, he's not telling you and I to go out and try to be real strong because he says, in the Lord. So he's telling us that we're weak in and of ourselves. And so I, I'm trying to get you to that point right here in this moment. Satan is so good at tempting us and accusing us because he's a spiritual being and he's got great intellectual power. And he's not just 34 years old. He's lived a long time. So he knows us and he's wise. Satan's got great experience because he's been around for a long time and he watches people. He watches what they're going to do. Much like if you're in sports, you watch films and you see what your opponent is going to do. Satan's been doing that for thousands of years. Satan is tireless. He's continually working. He's got a tireless energy to promote evil in your life. Not only that, Satan has a kingdom of demons. He's also the ruler of the world. So the entire world system is meant to drag us away from God and his goodness. If we're not seeking him. Satan's evil suggestions also are nearly indistinguishable from our corrupt ideas. In other words, Satan knows exactly where to poke. He watches you and he knows. And then listen, he's got great skill at coming at us, at watching us, at seeing where we fail. And while we may be doing really good at defeating the flesh, Satan's maneuverability is amazing. Have you ever got to a place where uh, you can look back five years ago and say, well, I, I, I tackled that, I beat that, praise God. Uh, but then you're, you're just entrenched in another sin in your life. I know that's the case in me. It's because Satan knows how to maneuver. And he knows how to watch you and see, okay, brother, you got this going on. I'm, I'm going to get you right here and knock you down again. See, we need Jesus. Only through Jesus can we defeat the enemy. What's our responsibility? We'll think about this as we move into communion. Our responsibility is to stand strong in the Lord. Your morality is not going to win this fight. The fact that you're a good person. Listen, we don't come to Jesus like that. But Satan probably wants you to think you're a really good person. You can defeat me. But what he's really saying is if I can convince you you're a good person, you don't think you need Jesus. And so morality is not going to win this battle against Satan. Government is not going to win. Listen, we can't legislate uh, this battle against Satan. We don't need a government. We don't need our good works. We don't even need our strong discipline. I'm going to stand strong right here. Someone finish it for me. Pride cometh before the fall. Yeah. So walk out of here and think, I'm going to do this. I'm not going to give in. Come find us when you need us to pray for you and walk with you. Here's our responsibility. Trust the one who didn't fall into Satan's deception. When Jesus was baptized and he experienced the love of his father, uh, the spirit drove him out into the wilderness for 40 days. He had to be hungry and thirsty. 
The enemy met him and tempted him three times in three different areas. All three times, yes, Satan used scripture and told him to flee. But more than that, Jesus did not give in to the temptation. He did not give in to Satan's tempting him to sin. And Jesus is the one who has purchased us in our sin. So what what is our responsibility this morning? Our responsibility is just to rest first. That Jesus did not fall into the temptation of the devil. And his entire obedient life is accredited to me. So when I take communion in just a moment, when you take communion in just a moment, what you're doing is acknowledging, I'm trusting the one who didn't fall into Satan's temptation. You could be here this morning and a message like this could just drive you to despair, friend, and think, there is no hope for me. I've fallen into temptation so many times. Would you look to Jesus and make him your only hope this morning? Would you look to him and see that he defeated Satan so that we could be made righteous, given his righteousness? And listen to Hebrews 2.18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are also being tempted. Jesus knows every temptation that you face. And he's calling us simply to come and rest in him.